um, it was my intention to get through Psalm 1 through 7. And as you know, um, these are just uh, uh, glimpses at the central truth that's in each of these psalms. As a matter of fact, our dear brother George Sanders said his word for them were, in one sense, I was sort of giving you a trailer for each psalm that would uh, hopefully stimulate you to go and say, I want to investigate that further. I want to find out what truths are in that psalm that will benefit my life. The psalms are great benefit to everyone. I think we all agree with that. That's why they're so popular. That's why we read them. And even as I said last week, um, when you see um, Bibles that come out, and if it's not a complete Bible, generally it will be the New Testament Proverbs and Psalms are just the Psalms. As a matter of fact, I have a scripture that is only the Psalms. Um, And at times I, I, I love reading through it and marking it up because there's just something about it. As we said before, when we think about the purpose, just some of the highlights from last week, we think about purpose, that is, why the Psalms, that they should be drawing us or or moving us towards worship. Um, There is a comprehensive circumstances that we see in the Psalms, and also emotions, and we identify with those circumstances and those emotions. And as well, with that, there is identification because now I see myself in Psalm 32 because I need to repent. I I need to come back to the Lord. I see myself maybe in Psalm 144. Yes, I'm in the midst of battle. I see myself in these Psalms throughout and there's identification with them. Then we talked about words that are important words, a theology proper Um, who is God and the greatness of God, and and we see him and who he is. We understand man, anthropology, that is the study of man, and we understand his nature somewhat and how he behaves. Harmodiology, that is the study of sin. It's from a word um, that is the most frequent word in the New Testament, harmatia. So harmodiology, uh, the study of sinfulness. And surely if we look at Psalm 32, and the words that are used for sin, we see it in Psalm 51, and we see the words that are used for sin there, and also Psalm 38, and we can learn a great deal about sin and how man behaves even with God and without God. And I say both because man without God is surely going to sin, and even men that have the Lord will still sin. But the great thing about it, what we also learn in the Psalms, is that there is forgiveness. Amen for that. There is also, of course, Christology, Messianic Psalms that tell us that the Messiah is going to come again and he's going to make all things right. And the Messiah will make this world what it was intended to be. He is that ultimate savior. We study, obviously, Bibliology, the study of the Bible, and we see that surely in Psalm 119 throughout. And there's pneumatology, even the study of the Spirit and how the Spirit um, is also omnipresent and and omnipotent. Where can you go from your spirit? Uh, There is no hiding place from the spirit of God. And and eschatology, that is the study of last things, that in fact, um, God is going to bring about his plan for his people and for this very universe. All things will be made right. And we absolutely need that in today's world, don't we? Because if you look around and if your hope is in this world, And if your hope is in November the 3rd, then, friends, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Do you agree with me on that? 
And you say, no, but if there's a second term, then all things will be made right. (laughs) Really? Really, I'll stay with you afterwards and counsel with you, okay? (laughs) It is not going to happen. Then ultimately, it drives us to worship, to worship the living God. This is what we see in the Psalms. But I want to turn a corner and talk to you a little bit more about um, the importance of thankfulness in the Psalms. That's why we've entitled it Thankful Devotions in the Psalms. If you were to go and open your NASB Bible, New American Standard 95, and if you were just to go to the Psalms, you would find 51 verses that mention or state thanks. And you'd also find 11 verses that say thanksgiving. So throughout the Psalms, I give thanks, Lord, I offer to you thanksgiving. And what you see often is thanks is combined with key words that highlight the character of God. We see God's character and it is displayed. We see mercy and greatness and faithfulness. He is a covenant keeping God. And often when the psalmist would say, oh Lord, he is speaking about God's covenant name. He is Yahweh. And as Yahweh, he is the God that keeps his covenant. Aren't we thankful or shouldn't you be thankful that God keeps his covenant? Now, how many of you married? And here, and right here, three weeks. Oh, he was, look, you should have saw his face when he put his hand up. He was like, me, 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 three weeks, me, choose me, please, is what he said. He had that look on his face, right? Okay, and what did you three do three weeks ago, uh, two do, what did you two do three weeks ago? What did you do? You took vows, did you not? Okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to put you in the spot. Did you make a vow to her forever and ever? Okay, wait a minute, hold on now. Let's, <laughs> let me move a little bit closer here. <laughs> okay, you, you said for it's a sickness and in health, something like that, yes. for better, for worse. Yes. All right, you did, and it's like until you die, correct? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, we just, uh, uh, good. All right, that's, that's a good recovery there. <laughs> so you made a covenant before people. And everyone here that's married, you made a covenant before people. Now, sometimes I understand life is life. And there are people that made that covenant, and that covenant was broken. I understand that. I do. And there's some people the covenant was broken, and they start again. And they're, they're absolutely committed to it that time around. I understand that. Let's not pretend. But nonetheless, we realize that we make a covenant before God and before people, and God has made a covenant to his people to say, I will be faithful to you. I'm a covenant-keeping God. And there are words that are used, say, for instance, words like loving kindness and, and his name. That is so important. I, I just went through all of these verses, and I thought, what is the theme? What word is attached to Thanksgiving here? And you cannot help but see loving kindness. And that's the most pronounced um, word that's used when it comes to being thankful. The psalmist will often say, oh, give thanks to the Lord or let me offer thanksgiving for his loving kindness is what does he say? How long is it? Everlasting or forever. And often second to the idea of loving kindness is name. He would often say, I give thanks to your name Uh, There is thanksgiving I offer up to your name. That is so important. Or he would say, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is what? He is good. He is a good God. 
And often you will see this, that he is saying, let me give thanks to the Lord for his wonders or for his great wonders and his, his wonders to the sons of men. God is a God of loving kindness, which means his faithful covenant love towards you. It says that God's name, what is important in a name? And this is why the psalmist also says in 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The name is important. And often the psalmist is saying, Lord, I am thankful for your name. It is a good name and is a God. You are a God that does wonders. Let me give you a sampling through these psalms and just go with me for a moment. Psalm 27. I'm sorry, Psalm 28. Psalm 28. And at some point in time, we may not even be able to turn. I'll just have to share them with you. Psalm 28. He says, blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts, and with my song, I will do what? I shall thank him. Why do we thank the Lord here? Because he is our strength. He is our shield. He is our help. Look at Psalm 42. Psalm 42, and we're going to look at verse 4. 42 and verse 4. The psalmist says he is crying out to the Lord that I I pant for you, God, and I thirst for you, God. These things I remember and I pour out my heart within me. I used to go along with the the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. So he's saying here, I remember the time when I had this intimate worship when I would come before your house and it was blanketed with, it was flavored with, it was infused with thanksgiving is what he's communicating. And what he's saying here in context, if you consider Psalm 42 and 43 together, because remember, what does the psalmist say? There's a refrain three times, twice in Psalm 42, once in Psalm 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for you shall yet again praise him. And so in the midst of him being downcast, and even we might even say depressed, let me give thanks. And also, let me remember the time when I would give thanks to the Lord. It was therapy for his soul. Look at Psalm 45. Psalm 45. And then in verse 17, it says, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the peoples will give you thanks forever and ever, ever and ever. Psalm 45 and 17, he communicates this. Your great name is worthy of it. Psalm 52, 9, I love this. I just love the weight, the, the wording of it. It's just this short, definitive statement. And notice what he says in 52, 9. It says, I will give thanks forever because, here's my reason, you have done it. Just stop there. Isn't that great? He simply says, why should I give thanks to you? You've done it. Done what? Done it all. Whenever I needed you, you've done it. Whenever I needed provision, you've done it. Whenever I face overwhelming circumstances, you have done it. And so it's a great declaration here, just this simple statement that the psalmist makes here. You've done it. Then he says, and I will wait on your name for it is what? good and the presence of your godly ones. And notice Psalm 75. 
Here he talks differently about the name of God. In Psalm 75, he says that the Lord's name is near. So this speaks of the intimacy of God's covenant relationship to him. He says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks. Your name is near. And what is that communicating? Because think, he, yes, your name is great and is awesome and it's majestic, but it does me no good if it is not, what, close to me. Um, often in my home, and not so much now because, well, we're fewer and fewer kids are at home at this point, but surely uh, when all five were at home, uh, there would definitely be times when um, Joanna would be calling for the kids and no one would respond. And what do you think she would ask? What do you th- how did she get the kids to respond if I was at home? What do you think she would ask me to do? She would say, hey, Carl, can you call? That was just so simple. Hey, come here. <laughs> easy. Come on. It's like easy, right? <laughs> um, although we were at the same distance from them, my name carried. And in one sense, it was as if I was near. Dad is right here. And there were a couple times as well when she would call me on the phone. Okay, get it together. And I'm on the other side of the country. And it's as if he's near. God's name is near to us. That is, it's intimate. It's there. It's available. We can call upon it. This is what the psalmist is communicating. It's great that you have an awesome name, but if it's not intimate to me, what good is it? But of course it is. Because it is near. You see the idea of name, and I won't go through them all, but if you look at Psalm 92 and 97 and 100 and 105 and 106, just note those, go through it and list God's name. Look at Psalm 95, though. Psalm 95. So thanksgiving is obviously important in the Psalms. 95 verse 2 well, this verse one, oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with what? Thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. So here we see a very direct connection between the thanksgiving and the psalms. The psalmist cries out here, let us do it with psalms. Let us do it with these particular types of praises because of God and who he is. And why do we do it? Because he is our great king. This is why we do it. Look at Psalm 107. Psalm 107. And what does it communicate? Well, throughout, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. So now we see good and we see loving kindness here, but it goes throughout this Psalm. Look at verse 15. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his wonders to the sons of men. Look at verse 21. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Then verse 31, let them do what? Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. He is throughout this psalm making a point as he goes through this historical declaration of God's faithfulness to his people that God is a God that should be thanked. Psalm 116. Psalm 116. Notice what he says in verse 
17. He says here uh, in a beautiful psalm, and I just preached on this psalm um, actually in the seminary chapel maybe three weeks ago. I love it. He starts off, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. And then he says in verse 17, to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon him. Why? Because he is intimate with me. This is why. He has loosed my bonds. And notice what he says in verse 16. Notice what he says. O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. That is, you have delivered me. You have rescued me. We see these same truths. I don't have time for it. If you look at Psalm 118, his loving kindness, he's a God of goodness. You see it in 139, 14. Why should we give thanks? Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We see it in 145. Why should I give thanks? I should give thanks because of God's great works. So obviously thanksgiving is important in the Psalms, is it not? Therefore, if it's important, there should be important to us, don't you think? That we should be a people that are thankful. And then this is under a larger scheme, if you will. These ideas of God's character demonstrated his consistency, his faithfulness. It's under this overarching theme of deliverance and reverence. I reverence the Lord because of who you are, and you are a God of deliverance. What you'll find, if you were to go back through some of those psalms, actually all of them, you'll see that the psalmist is also saying, God, rescue me, help me, save me, deliver me, and I give you thanks. Even in the moments when I'm waiting for you to rescue, I'll give you thanks. Even in those moments when I'm wondering, do you even hear me? I will give you thanks. And why must I give you thanks? Because of who you are. You are the Lord. You are Yahweh. You keep your covenant and allow me to keep mine. There's an importance also of thanksgiving in life. We must be a people of thanksgiving like the psalmist is because we would say this, and I think it's reasonable to say that a heart without thanks is a heart of ingratitude. Do we agree with that? It is a heart that says, God, you are not enough. I am dissatisfied. It is a heart that says, this is not enough. Whatever it may be, I am dissatisfied. We're to be a thankful people, and a part of that thankfulness is actually a part of our witness to the world. We're showing the world what our values are. We're telling them that we live differently. We have a different system. We have a different value system. We have a different worldview. We're saying to God that I trust your wisdom, your omnipotence, your love, your sufficiency, and I give you thanks. When we are not a thankful people, we are denying essentially the God of the Bible. But there's some inhibitors to our thanksgiving. The question is, it seems so obvious, it's, it's throughout the scriptures. Why should we not be thankful? Well, there's some inhibitors to thanksgiving. Let me just briefly give you some before we get into um, the text itself. And it's number one, it's this, finding contentment in temporary, or maintaining, that is, maintaining an insufficient view of God. You have an insufficient view of God. The psalmist surely didn't have that. He had a very lofty and high view of God, and that view of God would then direct his thinking. It would be, it would undergird him, if you will. But it is also this. It's finding contentment in temporary values. If your life is built here, if this is your hope, then you won't be thankful because 
things change. Tell me. Um, if I just give you this date, what comes to mind? 2008. Crash. 2008. There are a lot of people that had their hopes in this world dashed, did they not? Portfolios shrank tremendously. Real estate properties plummeted. Investments that they thought, here is my future, gone. Livelihood and genuine hard work that was placed in the business is now, and for many, in a moment, taken away. Because it was a temporary value system. And this is why even in the proverb, it tells us this. It says, don't weary yourself to gain wealth because it surely takes up wings like an eagle and flies away. I say, what does that mean? Should I not work hard? Of course you should work hard because you do it unto the Lord. Do we agree with that? But if that's your hope, if that's your foundation, if that's your value, what is going to happen when it in fact takes up wings and it flies away? And sometimes with us, um, the resources that we have um, can go easily. And I'm not talking about great wealth, but just the basic. You ever, are you ever in that point in life when um, you, know, you save up a little bit and just something happens? Who's been there? All of us have been there, have you not? All of a sudden, I mean, it's something that breaks down. You have a little set aside, then you realize, oh, no. I called, my goodness, I called, um, I go out to the garage just the other day. And simple thing, just lift the garage door up, right? And guess what happens? I hear this grinding sound. And I've got to get out. So what do I do? I unlatch it. I do it manually. Uh, I get on Yelp. Someone give me a price. What do you think's wrong? Is it the springs? Is it the motor? I get one quote. I says, ah, it sounds too much. I get another quote. And I says, oh, my word, heart attack. I mean, it really was. <laughs> what the guy told me, I said, dude, I said, you, you're actually going to send someone out and lift it for me for that kind of money. You know, with a little bell cap on or something. That's entirely too much. I says, no, that can't be. That's too much money. Maybe you think because, you know, uh, my wife is the one that's taking the call or something, or I'm not sure what it is. So I did some research. Guess where I went to Lowe's and the Home Depot? And what did I find out? Oh, yeah, guess what? Um, I could do it for it. Put it this way, about uh, a quarter of what he wanted to pay me. I thought, oh, my goodness. Oh, no, it, I have to replace the whole thing. But guess what? I have a young son and I have a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> and I have some screwdrivers and I have, uh, I have some tools. So guess what? Uh, I'm going to yelp myself <laughs> and I'll leave myself a five-star review. And I'll keep the rest of the money in my pocket is what I'm going to do. But the, yeah, exactly. The money he wanted to charge me for that. But there have been other times I couldn't. It's like, it's gone. Okay. Radiator, gone. That's gone. You save a little bit. It's gone. But guess what's still here? There's my family. There are the kids. There are my friends. There are my loved ones. And there is a faithful God. So it doesn't matter. But what else happens is this. Um, you can compare your station in life to other people. So you're not thankful because you don't have what they have. 
and you believe that somehow the grass is greener somewhere else, and you think if you had those things, then surely I would be thankful. No, you wouldn't, because then there's always someone else that you'll find yourself that you can compare to. Is that not right? Here's another reason, that you're over-exaggerating your expectations. That is, you think you deserve more than what you have. That's the bottom line to it. Here's a fifth reason that maybe you're not as thankful as you could be or should be. It is this, under-appreciating God's sacrifice. Now, I started with a sufficient view of God. You should have one, not an insufficient one. But you must end with this idea, God's sacrifice to you. And if everything can go to that grid, look at the price that he paid for me. Who am I to not be thankful? Ingratitude? Ingratitude, and I've escaped everlasting punishment. Ingratitude, when I was under the very wrath of God. Ingratitude, when there was nothing good in me that God would choose choose me, but he did before the foundation of the world. Ingratitude, because of what? And this is where we have to, in one sense, counsel ourselves and say, be thankful. Let's move on. Uh, We already looked at these reasons to be thankful, and I just clearly give them to you briefly. God gives us a plan for the blessed life. We've escaped the wrath of God. Now we can live in harmony. We can also be thankful because we have the promise of comfort. We can also be thankful because stillness before God is really fighting against the world. When we're still before the Lord, we are being strengthened for him for the battle ahead. But let's move into these next Psalms. Look with me at Psalm chapter 5. Psalm 5, turn there. So here's the next reason that you can be thankful based on these Psalms. Psalm 5, consider if you will. Psalm 5, verse 11. Here's the trailer for this Psalm, if you will. Psalm 5, 11. He says this. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them that those who love your name may extol in you. What what is the reason for us to be thankful? Well, you can be thankful that there is a purpose in God's protection. It's the same purpose for all that God does. Everything that he does in this universe has one ultimate reason, and that ultimate reason is to bring glory to his name. I mean, if that were the theme of every lesson, if you will, if that were the theme of every conversation, uh, we would do well to hear it again and again and again. We should never grow tired of this reality that God does all that he does for this one ultimate purpose, which is to glorify himself. And we live this way now, and that is our future, that our entire future will be what? That we will bring glory and honor to the Lord. We're going to spend an eternity glorifying him. And the psalmist says here, um, as he is crying out that God would deliver him from the wicked, those who take refuge in you should be glad, sing for joy, you are shelter. And notice again, that those who love your name, 
Do we love the name of God? That is, do we love the person of God, who he is, what he stands for? And if in fact I do, when I'm faced with difficulties, I will still be glad because God is going to glorify himself. And this is what I mean by be thankful that there is a purpose behind God's protection. God protects me that he would be glorified. How? Because then people can look at it and say, how were you provided for? How did that work out? And for the psalmist, he can say, God, I, I declare even to all those that look around me, you're the one who was my bulwark. You're the one who was my strength. You're the one that was my God, and I give you praise for it. it is, this is our purpose, that we can say, God, I'm thankful for all that you do. It is a part of our testimony even to the world. Here's another reason to be thankful from these psalms. Look at Psalm 6, verse 2. First he says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones have been dismayed, he says. Be thankful that the Lord is a healer of souls. See, God is the one who takes sometimes what I'll say are um, disjointed emotions, and he can set them in order. But sometimes what God does, he allows us to languish and wait for a period of time before he rejuvenates or intervenes. All of us have been in that situation before. We're crying out to the Lord, and we're wondering, why are we waiting? And God has a purpose, a reason behind the waiting. God is not simply holding back his intervention For the sake of it, he is always doing everything according to his wise and sovereign will, is he not? What happens then when we're waiting, in those moments, even as the psalmist would cry out, what is happening is this, it creates dependence. And dependence is a good thing for the children of God, is it not? Um, Because if we're not dependent the way that we should, we have a tendency towards doing what? We depend on self and our own means and our own wisdom and our own insight instead of the Lord's. See, when we have to wait on the Lord, we're reminded of the limits of our own sufficiency. We are not sufficient. We realize this is as far as I can go. This is the limit of my wisdom. And these limits is something that we should all know well and think about well. Accept your limitations before the Lord, but also strive and ask for God's limitless grace. Another reason to be thankful. Look at Psalm 7. Psalm 7, verse 11. It says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. You can be thankful that you may experience the chastisement of God, but never God's indignation. That is a reason to be thankful. And there is a difference. Notice he says God is full of indignation every day because God is angry with the righteous or the unrighteous every day. His indignation is for the wicked. And he's wicked, even in this context, of those that would persecute the innocent. But even for the wicked, they should be thankful because what is happening is God's mercy is, is holding back his wrath at bay, if you will. It is a dam in God's loving kindness, God's faithfulness to his plan, 
God's mercy is holding back this water. It's a dam that's holding it back. But one day, all of those waters are going to flood over the wicked. For us, we can be thankful that we'll never be swept away by those waters of wrath because that wrath was placed on Jesus Christ on our behalf, amen, and not on us. Chastisement, yes, and at times what the Lord must do to, to mold us more into the image of Christ, he has to chasten us, but he will never, will never face his indignation. This is why the writer of Hebrews says what? That he chastens every son whom he receives, as a matter of fact, if you don't experience God's chastisement, it's a declaration that you're what? You're not one of his. He is a righteous judge, but will never face his judgment because Jesus Christ did. Because his wrath was poured on him. Here's another reason to be thankful. Number four is this. Look at Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. We should be thankful because a covenant-keeping God displays his glory for all to see. Yet in the midst of this reality that God is showing himself to all mankind, what should also break your heart is this, that some of those same people reject his name. And what do they do when they reject his name? They substitute his name. They substitute his ways for a false and empty practice. Every religion, every other so-called faith, every other opportunity, every other way that's proposed by man is a rejection of this God who is displaying his glory. And men look at that same glory and they see it and they see that same majesty and some twist it. And this is what Paul would say in Romans 1, then they would pervert it to something very different. But one great thing about it is this, one of the great wonders of our faith and wonders of God is that God is so patient with sinners of which all of us that know the Lord, we were those sinners and he brings us to himself. That is a wonder of wonders. That's grace. We should be thankful that God would even display himself to us at all. God has no need of anyone but himself, but he's chosen to bring people to faith. Here's the fifth reason to be thankful. Look at Psalm 9. Psalm 9, verse 10. And what does it say Psalm 9, verse 10? He says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. We can be thankful for this. Genuine seekers will be satisfied in the trustworthiness of God. Where do we gain our satisfaction? I mean, every day we seem to find another reason to distrust earthly leaders. I mean, a name doesn't mean as much as it once did. But with God, it does because his name speaks to who he is. It, it represents his character. At one point in time, uh, we would think, oh, that person has a good name, and we should still think that way. This is why the proverb tells us that a good name is better than what? Great riches. Oh, think about it. Recently, um, well, I'll just mention that he is, because I don't like using, you know, when I'm preaching, trying to mix in politics and, and things like that with it. But at the same time, you sort of feel like when 
our leaders say things that are heinous, ludicrous, um, ungodly, that you need to call it to account as well. How is it that uh, the candidate for president of the United States, when asked a question about um, prejudice in the armed forces and um, how transgenderism was not advocated at all, but not even allowed, uh, that the wordings were, were taken out of um, statements that would allow for it. Um, how is it that uh, did a mom writes him, and this is at a town hall meeting that he was there, and they ask him, what about an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old that decides that they want to be transgender? And what does he say? What, what does a reasonable person say when that question comes? A reasonable person says no. A reasonable person says eight. I'm going to allow an eight-year-old. I still give them lunch money. (laughs) Right? That same eight-year-old where literally I have to sign my name to allow them to go on a field trip. Is this not true? But I'm going to say to them, you can make a life-altering decision and be transgender at 8 or 10. And he said, yes. And he looked with this serious look on his face. So he essentially says, adults that are in the military service were really no different than an 8-year-old. There shouldn't be any prejudice there. And, he said, and his words were, you shouldn't discriminate in the armed forces, and you shouldn't discriminate with an 8-year-old. No, it's not discrimination. It's called parenting, is it not? It's called wisdom. And he lacks none. I mean, I just initially when I saw that, I thought, no, that didn't happen. The man, surely he didn't say that. I know that he's there, but that just lacks all common sense whatsoever. It, that's not even a decent response. That is sort of just pandering to what you think are going to gain you some votes. And even said to some of my friends, I say, I know that you, that may be your choice, but at least cringe when you put down the ballot for him. At least cringe. (laughs) And if you can't even cringe and still vote, something's wrong with you as well. An eight-year-old. I mean, imagine that. You're driving him to school. Hey, see you. Did you get your lunch money? Make sure you brush your teeth in between. Um, and then, and I don't mean this to be funny, so don't laugh. This is just showing how, how ridiculous it is. And then they can come back that night and say to you, hey, mom, dad, I think I'm transgender. Okay, I don't want to discriminate. That's reasonable. And this is why I'm saying here that we lose faith in our leaders every day. And trust me, there are words that I could speak for the other candidate as well. So let's not pretend. This is why your hope must be somewhere else. And I'm finding more and more Christians, their hope is in November 3rd. Will it perhaps hold back the tide a bit? Guess what? That dam is going to break. Do you understand? God is going to say, no, here is a flood of my wrath and nothing will hold it back. The question is not whether or not now you're on the correct political party The question is whether or not you know my name. And the question is even further whether or not I know your name. Because what did Jesus Christ say? I never knew you. Never knew you. That's the question. See, his 
They're satisfied in your name. What is your state? Put it this way. What satisfies you right now? I mean, what is your satisfaction? Are you like the psalmist when he said in 42, I thirst for God like a deer. I pant for God. Is that your satisfaction? Is it the spring of living waters? Is that your satisfaction? I'm satisfied in whom and in what? And if the things of this world were taken away in a moment, would I still be thankful? Because God is unchanging. The covenant-keeping God is faithful to me. His name is near. We thank you for your word you give us and uh, that we can be a thankful people. Um, You are who you are. Let us worship you in spirit and truth. In Christ's name, amen.